have a seat. Let me ask you guys a quick question. How many of you here are married? Okay, there's four people in this room, including myself, who are married. Um, the section we just read is talking about you shall not commit adultery. And even we could even look at the next section that talks about divorce. And so there's, there's a challenge there. Okay, well, all these high schoolers and the message we give them to middle schoolers, none of those kids are married. Do they really need to be taught or have a lesson about something that goes along the lines of, hey, don't have an affair, don't be an adulterer, uh, don't get divorced? Right? Should we just skip over these passages? Like, oh, well, one day when you get married or you're, you're engaged and you're more serious with someone in a relationship, then go ahead and read this passage. I would like to argue that, if anything, I think at times it's more applicable to young single people. That you have a healthy understanding of what Christ requires of a marriage and what he requires of single people. I remember one time I was in my junior year history class, Mrs. D's, and the assignment was we all had to, we all got divided into a group and we had to report on a world religion. Um, I had the religion of, why am I blanking on this? Hinduism, right? So Enlightenism, like they're enlightened and all these, and so there's maybe four or five of us in the group and someone had Islam and Catholicism and Protestantism and some Eastern religions and um, there's maybe six or seven of them. Christianity was was given and people listened. And at the end of the lesson, we um, started talking about just kind of what we learned from the lesson and just a few thoughts. And someone mentioned, well, Christianity is the most legitimate religion that we talked about. I don't know who said it. Um, it wasn't me. And I remember my friend Chris Brown. Um, is that was that big deal or that singer? Oh, okay, no. Not the same guy, right? Um, Chris was really, really well articulate. He was smart for his age. But he's also one of those kids, like, he was so smart and he would cut through the argument of the teacher and he sometimes make the teacher look kind of dumb. But yet he would fail all of his classes. He knew, he knew more than anyone about history, but he had a D in the class. So it's just one of those unique things, like, you're really smart, but he just doesn't do the homework. Um, Chris stands up very passionate and says, how could you say that? Christianity is the most nonsense I've ever seen in my life. You know, I, was, I read in the Bible one time, I read this. It says that any guy that ever looks at a girl lustfully or, or likes her, that he has to cut off his hand and he has to pluck out his eye. How many of here, guys, guys should then cut our eye out or, or take our arm off? All of us. It's, it's, it's barbarian. Who could live up to that? Bell rang. Everyone leaves. Supposedly, there's somewhere in the Bible that says, if you ever look at a girl, do a double, double take at a girl, that you have to cut your eye out and you have to cut your hand off. I think, like, maybe even, like, a sixth grader can say, well, when you're writing these things, sometimes you say it literally, sometimes you use rhetorical, sometimes you use metaphors, and sometimes you, you know, there's allegory and all this thing. And Jesus clearly here isn't trying to say to literally cut your hand off. But I remember this passage as always being one of those like, 
whoa, that's that's kind of bold. And, and part of me wishes there was more time to go back to the situation and explain what exactly Jesus was saying and, and make a case. And, you know, I'm not even sure what the answer was. I would have given it the time. But either way, if you are an unbeliever, if you, are, if you are not a Christian and you read the Bible for the first time and you come upon this section right here, I would assume that this section would be a hard pill to swallow. None of you are married. You've heard it that was said. So Jesus, again, he's doing this thing where he's trying to counterbalance. You Pharisees and scribes think that you're just good on the outward, yet on the inward there's nothing. You've heard that you just need to make sure you don't commit adultery. So as long as you don't actually do the actual sin of getting into bed with someone other than your wife, you're good to go. You're good. You've heard it was said, don't commit adultery. But I, but me, who is ushering in a new kingdom, who is ushering in a law that is not just on paper, but a law that is on your heart, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We're all adulterers, period. Every one of us, girls included. Um, I was once reading um, a, a secular professor who teaches, uh, teaches English, I think at Yale, and one of her assignments in her English class is to have all of her freshman students read the Sermon on the Mount and give a critical one-page essay. And it was interesting, she was reporting about what all of her students said, and I'm like, 90% of them said, this is impossible. This is the most obscene thing I've ever read in my life. Who, who hasn't ever looked at a woman lustfully in their heart before? And you're going to call them an adulterer? Like, it's barbaric. See, the thing that I, I have a hard time wrestling with is, is there a difference, right? Is is me, if I do a double look at a girl or if a commercial comes on and I look at it a little too long, did I really just break my marriage vows to my wife? Is there a small difference at all? And I think there is. Just like we talked about murder last week, it's a lot different if me and Dane get in an argument and I get angry with him than if I actually go buy a gun and shoot him, right? I won't ever do that to you, Dan. Honey badger, right? He doesn't care. Jesus is saying there is a difference, right? There's a difference socially. There's a difference in the effect that would do. But liable, before God one day, I would have to say, God, there are plenty of times where although I did not actually commit the act in my heart, I trespass against your law. See, I always heard this phrase growing up in high school. My friends would say, it's not a sin to look, right? Not hurting anyone by, by looking, right? I mean, isn't, that, isn't that what the world might say? Nothing wrong with looking. I recently had a friend who I went to youth group with. He sat right next to me, like where I was in your seat. 
And he came out, and um, yeah, he came out homosexually. Yeah, he literally came out. And he made this argument, um, and I'm reading this post, this blog that he wrote, and he's saying, um, this is who I am. I hate when people tell me that I love you and God loves you, but I don't agree with what you're doing. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because to not like what I'm doing is to not like me. And he, and he, really, he really wraps his identity in this orientation that he now finds. And he says, you know what? For all of you who are against me, I want nothing to do with you. You're just people who are trying to push your morals on me and get out of my life. And I thought about this. You know, that, that's a really interesting thing. Like, he literally put up a wall so that no one could ever speak into his life. Well, imagine that for a second. I, I write a blog. I said, hey, um, to the world. I'm writing to the world now. There's always been this sin that at times has kind of made my conscience guilt-stricken. I get convicted about it, and I, and I confess, and I feel a little better. But it's always a sin that I, I've kind of always struggled with. I love my wife and my kids, and I would never want to do anything that would jeopardize that because I really just, I love them, and I care for them, and I, I, I want to maintain my, my vows. But sometimes I, I catch myself double looking at girls in the grocery store or looking at the Victoria's Secret commercial a little too long, or, you know, I'm at the beach and I'm just wandering, you know, wandering eyes. And, you know, and I, and I always felt so bad about that. But, you know, I started thinking, as long as I don't actually do anything with those thoughts, by the way, this is me writing hypothetically to the world again, right? This is not me literally saying anything. But as long as I don't really actually go and chase down some numbers or try to get into bed with some other than my wife, I think that I'm perfectly fine. I feel like those, those times where I felt bad for looking were just people trying to tell me how to live my life. But you know what? This is who I am. This is who I am, and I feel justified. And anyone who tells me otherwise, you're just wrong, and you're trying to make me feel bad about myself. And as long as I don't ever actually do this, I'm completely fine. If you read that, what would your reaction be? pretty messed up, bro. Like, it's going to look at other girls. Like, it's not cool. It is, in a way, not being faithful to my wife. It is, in a way, like, unsettling. Like, mm, I, would, I would check the logic on that, Aaron. King David, I think, is a good illustration for us. King David which is so fascinating in the book of Acts, is called A Man After God's Own Heart. A title that I wish that I, that I have, that when God, you know, when I called up to glory, I said, you're a man after my own heart, Aaron. That's what, that's what I want to hear. Does anyone know how the situation of him having an affair with Bathsheba and murdering her husband started? What's that? Like what were you going to say? Wasn't he like lazy and so he didn't go off and fight? And so he was at home and then just like, and then he saw Okay, yeah. So he should have been at battle, so he takes, some break, takes a break off. So idol's hands or the devil's hands, right? So they say. But he's wandering on the rooftops 
And he's just looking around the city, looking down at Jerusalem. And lo and behold, there's a pretty little girl bathing. Now, David had two options. Oh, look away or do a double glance. And instead of looking away, he drew her eyes at her beauty and began to lust after her. He said, I must have her. It began in his heart when he saw her. In that moment, David committed adultery. In that moment, David broke his vows to God as being the king of Israel. Because in that one moment, he desired something that God had forbidden. See, what happened in that small time when he didn't look away? He ended up taking her into bed, getting her pregnant, finding out she's pregnant. Oh, man, I got a big problem here. Uh, we got to take care of your husband. And then what does he do? He does what we did, what we talked about last week, right? Someone stood in his way of getting what he wants, and so what does he do? Instead of just getting angry, he actually gets the person killed. He murders them. Because he was walking around and he was looking. The point I want to make is that immorality and sin always begin in your heart. Immorality and sin always begin in your heart. I mean, what does the Bible say? Like, from the heart outflows everything. Who you are, what you talk about, the actions, all come from this one place right here. You can be a bad spouse even if you do not commit the actual act of adultery. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. This sermon's about discipleship, right? The sermon's about what does it mean for us to live in this day and follow Jesus? There are times in my Christian life where I wish that I would have plucked out my eyes so that I wouldn't sin cut off my right hand. Is Jesus really trying to tell us that we need to harm ourselves in that way? If I would ask you, Paige, let me ask you, what do you think Jesus is trying to say here by saying cut off your right hand? Okay, I like that. What else? Katie. All right. Savannah? Nugget. Shelby. Okay, we're getting real close now. Yes? Remove that part of yourself, not physically, but mentally. Um, hmm, okay. Alex? Um, to, like, at all costs, like, um, make sure, like, kind of, like, uh, eat yourself. Yeah, I like that. So here, here's what Jesus is saying. A disciple in his kingdom is going to be radical in killing their sin. You will be radical 
and destroying your sin. You will do whatever is possible to make sure that you do not do that sin again. If you struggle with gossip, you will do whatever roadblock, whatever thing you can do to make sure you don't do it again. If you struggle with sexual sin, you are going to put things in your life so that you don't... I'm going to literally do as much as I can to stop this. Why? Why should I be radical with my sin? Because Jesus says that persistent immorality will lead to hell, will lead to destruction. And particularly Jesus right here, he's talking about sexual sin, about lust, about desiring something that God has forbidden. You are all single, as you just told me. God has created sex for marriage. Therefore, to desire that and to take action upon that without marriage is to desire something that God has forbidden from you. It's to, to say, God, I don't care what you say and what your rules are for sex and for fulfillment in the marriage bed. I want to be fulfilled in my own way. And so pornography and things like masturbation or going too far with your boyfriend and girlfriend become ways in which we take God's great thing of sex within marriage and we personalize them and say, I want to be fulfilled this way and God, I don't care what you want. And I'd say at times, maybe for even girls when we, or even guys, when we try to draw others to look at us, when we dress a certain way or we say certain things to get people's attention to make them look at us, we are just as guilty. And this is what Jesus says. You're my disciple, and you take your sin radically. Uh, I mean, briefly, I'll read in Colossians chapter 3. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, put it to death. Kill it. And so something I've learned in the Christian life is when I... My sin is finally exposed to me when God says, Hey, Aaron, there's something right here you're not doing so right. You know, your integrity is a little shoddy over here. I need to make sure then that I'm talking with people about how I make sure I don't do that again. If there is a sin in your life where you have had to ask God, we'll say, once a week to forgive you of, for the last five years, you're doing something wrong. There is a sense in which as we grow in Christ, we are sinning less. If we have always struggled with the same sin and we're going back to the same thing over and over and over and over, Jesus is saying, my disciple is radical. You kill it. You put it to death. I recently watched this uh, short clip by a pastor, uh, I, I mentioned him quite a bit, named John Piper. And he uses this illustration I like to borrow. He says, uh, so say you're about to um, look at that image on the computer, or say you're about to go with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and do something that you know you shouldn't. He says, imagine ISIS. Someone from ISIS comes in the room and they have one of your siblings or your family members and they have them by, by, they're about to cut off their head and said, if you look at that, or if you do that, I'm going to kill this person. Would you look at that page? 
No. He says, okay, I have, I have a fight. I come in the room with a, a bag of a million dollars cash. I said, all this money right here, it is yours, as long as you don't do that, as long as you don't look at that stuff. Would you take it? Would you take the million dollars instead of looking at it? Yeah? And the argument he's trying to build there is that when the stakes are high enough, when we make sure that we understand that, that what we are getting when we look at that thing is not worth what we're getting or what we're receiving from it, we won't do the sin. So if someone offers you a million dollars to never look at pornography again or do anything sexual and immoral, would that stop you? When the stakes are high enough, you will not do it. But the stakes are far, far, far higher than ISIS killing one of your family members or me giving you a million dollars. What are the stakes at? For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. That is what is at stake when it comes to our sin. If we do not take it radically, Jesus says, persistent immorality damns our souls to hell. Persistent immorality will damn our souls to hell. This is a serious thing, and this is why Jesus even talks about it. Listen, hey, you guys, you think that just because, you know, you don't actually hop into bed with other people and, you, you're, you know, you're not really committing adultery, you think you're fine? No, 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 you're, you're, you're wrong. You know why? Because all sin starts from your heart. And if you find yourself looking around, if you find yourself daydreaming and fantasizing about other people, you're an adulterer at heart. You're liable for judgment. And in doing so, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to make sure you stop that. That you put roadblocks, that, you, that you're radical with your sin, that you kill it, that you remove it, that you, you pull it from the roots. Because so much is at stake. Not so much the fact that we are just going to possibly endanger our souls. But every single time we engage in our sin, any time we are um, entrenched in sexual morality, if we're addicted or not to pornography or we struggle with any of these sins, this is what we really lose. We lose the ability to truly treasure Christ. We lose sight of the wonder and the grace of our Savior. High school, I'll tell you this one thing right now. Sexual sin will kill you spiritually more than any other sin. Sexual sin will kill your soul. It will, it will dry it up. It will shrivel it. It will destroy your relationship with Christ. Is what is on that screen, or is what the guy or the girl may promise, is that worth more than our relationship with Christ? I didn't plan to say too much tonight because I think this passage, in a lot of ways, speaks for itself in a huge way. 
But I want to challenge you guys this week to something. Challenge yourself to ask, like, are there sins in my life that I repeatedly come to over and over again with God and I never find any victory over this sin? Every time I'm tempted, I go straight into it. There's no hesitation. I always do it. It seems like I'm always asking for forgiveness for this one sin. Ask yourself this week, how can I be radical with killing this? And I'll tell you, the first step is always this. Confessing it to God and confessing it to someone else. That is the first step of unrooting our sin. Confessing it to God, confessing to someone else. And we've got to be radical with our sin. You see, high schoolers, what Jesus requires, and this is something I'm trying to maybe flush out over the whole thing of this message of Sermon on the Mount, is that to be a disciple of Jesus is no small task. To be a disciple of Jesus is a huge undertaking. To be a disciple is not just like, oh, that sounds good. I want to go to heaven. What is it? Jesus says, count the cost. Add it. Is it worth it? Are you really going to, you really want to follow me? Guess what? I don't even have a house. Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? You want to be my follower? You have to leave the world behind you. You want to be my follower? You have to leave your homes. You have to be so different, unlike the entire world. Our culture is plagued with sex. Commercials for salad dressing, for goodness sake, are about sex. Carl's Jr., that evil corporation, makes a cheeseburger about sex. Our eyes are constantly drawn to it. And Jesus says, you, however, you make every ambition to fight sin. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Rather, how about better? Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Is not the promise to see God far better than anything that this world can offer us. Count the cost. Kill your sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. It's powerful. God, I pray these students understand the importance of, of killing their sin, of understanding how sexual sin, God, it will kill us spiritually. God, I pray pray that you'd bring just a new wave of your spirit through this group, God, that there would be confession of sin, that there would be a boldness to speak about, God, parts of our life where we don't do so well. But Jesus, help us to be your disciples, disciples who have counted the cost and have found that it is truly worth following Christ. Jesus, help us this week to truly love, obey, and glorify you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.